Hello, everybody. Been a while. Uh, we've been stuck in uh, the Australian lockdown, unfortunately, in different states. So we haven't really been able to record uh, like we used to be able to in the office. We recorded this episode at the beginning of lockdown and didn't release it because we thought we'd be out of it by now. But uh, it looks like we're going into a whole other month of it. So here's a very poorly recorded uh, episode to uh, satiate you over our lockdown time. Oh, so welcome back to Unruly Software. It's the super special lockdown edition. Uh, we're doing it remote now. This is a remote podcast because we're actually not allowed to see other human beings anymore. No, I don't know if you've heard about it. The outside world. There's uh, is this virus? Uh, what is I, I mean, it hasn't changed your lifestyle much. You've been in the room for a couple of weeks now, anyway. That's true. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't left <laughs> anyway. So it's really, it's just I, I'm enjoying watching everyone else freak out. <laughs> yeah. But I'm perfectly fine. That's right. Yeah, no change for you. So you've you've already you adapted years ago. I just hope I can still take my dog to the dog park. That's the only thing that would upset me. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely want to get him down there. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we've we've got our community community engagement section um, <laughs> to start with. The Discord the Discord channel's been going well. Yeah, uh, people people have been jumping on asking questions. So we uh, over the last week we've been talking on our Discord. You can hop in there if you want. It's a free invite. But uh, we've been talking about how uh, fed up we are with CloudFormation, how it's ruined our deployments. Uh, increased our level of risk. Uh, Amongst other issues that you've had with AWS. Just heaps of issues with AWS over and over and over again. I just have no trust for AWS, you know. The trust is wailing. Yeah, there's there's none left. No. but uh, so juggling Jason's uh, responded uh, saying he's coming to us with a fresh cloud formation WTF. The GSI of table blah created an update was not deleted during rollback, which is immediately followed by an error occurred. Yeah. So just... So what's the GFI? Uh, yeah, I don't know. GFI? I'm, I'm not a DynamoDB okay. guy. I'm a relational. Oh, uh, that's DynamoDB. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, uh, from from what I've been told, you don't create DynamoDBs uh, with CloudFormation. So, yeah. That would be uh, that would be a mistake. You, you mean you mean that... Uh, like it shouldn't be done or it can't be done? Well, I don't, no, of course it can be. Well, yeah. like AWS is pushing for the CDK, right? The CDK is yeah. all cloud formation, right? So yeah. obviously they are. I'm amazed mm. when they, they, so I was actually looking, I'm, I'm doing some Kubernetes stuff. Even their Kubernetes deployment, they're doing in cloud formation, which is so weird because the CDK, like the EKS stuff, they, they deploy like Helm charts and everything using cloud formation. Which okay. is so weird because you've now got like the abstraction of the TypeScript uh, thing to build the cloud formation, which is like an abstraction over applying the Helm chart. It's so weird how how uh-huh. how AWS is taking all this uh, IAC stuff. Have they had any? Has there been any like community engagement on what developers actually want to like have as the interface for AWS, or do you think they're just kind of going down their own path and saying, "Here, this is the way you do it." I'm sure they do, yeah. They, but there are some people who actually really love cloud formation. I don't know any mm. of them, but I've definitely mm. seen them on the internet, and I just don't understand them. If you yeah. look on Hacker News, it's about fifty percent like despises cloud formation with the, all of their spirit, and then the other 
the other half um, is like okay with it. Yeah. And then there's one guy who loves it. Yeah. 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 I I actually don't, I haven't seen anyone who actually really, really likes it or thinks it solves their problem as well. Yeah. It just seems like it does the job, like it seems like it's doing the job for some people and then it's failing for a lot of people as well. So obviously there's a bit of, bit of backlash there. Yeah. We, uh, so obviously issues with cloud formation are not few and far between. So he's linked another, uh, like amplify issue with cloud formation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just don't use cloud formation. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I've taken away, um, from everything. I like, uh, I'll probably use it for very small things if I'm deploying one single Lambda and I know it's never going to be any more than that one Lambda. And maybe I don't even want to change the code. That makes perfect sense. But, uh, I would struggle to build any further applications using any tools that are built on top of cloud formation, given how much it's fucked us over. So, so he's essentially, I would assume what he's saying is he has to uh, delete his, his stack in order to, to recover, which is what the normal cloud formation fixes. So get up at 2am, hopefully no one's on the platform, delete everything and start again. Yeah. So he's also saying uh, he wants to love serverless, but it's been a toxic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's more cloud formation. And uh, I think I said before as well, uh, serverless made a design decision not to support doing anything outside of uh, cloud formation, which I think is where all of the issues come from. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. an issue with uh, the interface for serverless or anything. Like it, it's actually a good uh, serverless framework interface. You're talking. Yeah, the serverless framework. Yeah. I know it's a difficult. Yeah. I wish they didn't choose that name. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, it's confusing. Well, but, I think twice. Yeah. yeah, but they uh, that one decision just to create like this uh, these YAML or JSON files for cloud formation just seems like it's screwing up a lot of stuff. I don't. I don't know if there'll be a lot of tools that. Uh, get out of that. I mean, uh, we we recently deleted all of our cloud formation. We went for Terraform. Uh, and yeah, you were, you were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. You're like, I'm done with cloud formation. I was I fed up, but I had other out. things to do, so I didn't have time yeah. to do it at that point. So yeah. I, it's been playing around in the back of my mind, and then I was like, all right. We we essentially had like a week where I was just like, it was one in one one in six deploys was actually going through. So I was like, all right, that's fine. I'm done. Enough's enough. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it probably took like two days. And the uh, deploys were taking a lot of time as well. Like yeah, they were taking heaps of time. It's the provision happen. concurrency yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Serverless, or well, it's not even serverless really. Like I said, like you can't really get that upset at serverless because they're just using the tool that everyone uses. But uh, the whole way that cloud formation manages it means that there's race conditions, there's all sorts of uh, things that you can't really... Because they take control of deploying all this infrastructure you have no control over like uh if you just want to comment something out so that you remove a race condition for example or wait for something else you can't tell it to to do that at least not through the serverless framework so but uh we, we're on terraform now which is great yeah, so how was that what was the what was the migration what was required so the big the big thing i think is that so just like with Terraform, for essentially, the longer that I've been doing serverless, the more that it is less special and unique. Like it is yeah. just like everything else that I've done. 
from yeah. like deploying on Kubernetes containers to deploying uh, code directly to EC2 or compute instances. I think everything <laughs> just inevitably becomes like you deploy the infrastructure and then you want to deploy the code afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing with serverless is that it wants to manage the infrastructure and the the app deployment at the same time. So you yep. have a very long deploy time, especially if there's a lot of IAM rules, like it has to resolve all this stuff, right? Oh, so right. I actually only run Terraform when there's like a new function or I'm adding permissions to a role. Yep. So what you would think of as being infrastructure. So there's, yep. there's actually no need for me in the course of normal development, adding an API endpoint, integrating with a new uh, consumer, anything like that. I actually don't have to run Terraform at all. Uh, so with our, with our old stack, yeah. what resources did we have in our serverless framework? Like in our serverless well, initially we even file. had the SQS queue, all that stuff. But, in there. Um, and so the lambdas were obviously there and did you have the API gateways there too? Yeah, API gateway as well. So API yeah. gateway, the API gateway deployments, all this stuff were all part of, all part of that, which I think was all... Yeah. I mean, it sounds reasonable. It is sort of like, uh, like if you squint, it's like the API gateway is like part of the app, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, it's more, it's, if you think about API gateway, it's more of a proxy. Like it's a smart proxy, which isn't, I don't think is the best. It's yeah. a smart layer seven proxy that lets you call a Lambda. Like that's, that's yeah. what I think of it as now. Yeah, yeah. So that should really that be deployed sense. once. Yeah. And then you attach to it. Like I don't actually need to, you know, uh, uh, deploy that every single time or check on that every single time I, I deploy code. No, that's right. So uh, we, we moved all of that stuff. So the creating the API gateway, even creating the lambdas initially. So like the lambdas yep. being created even bare, so empty code. So with no code, Mm-hmm. deploying the Lambda, attaching the IAM function, uh, the IAM uh, permissions and roles, all that sort of stuff yeah. is handled in Terraform, which is actually you a really good to, separation, I think. You have to um, specify like a little bit of code or can you put a Lambda with no code at all? Uh, so you can do, you can essentially, there's like a Terraform function that will let you archive and you could just say function console.log, essentially. Ah, right. So, okay. So there's no, yeah, I don't know if you can. So I, I, um, I set up a, I'm not using, we'll talk about this again, but um, I'm yep. not using uh, the zip file format. I'm using container images for the lambdas as well. Oh, okay. Let's come back to that. Yeah. But uh, I, I give it yeah, an I'll, empty, an empty container image. But uh, yep. so you can see we now have all of the application code is deployed when you build the container and upload it. And then the, all of the infrastructure, the permissions, all of this stuff. The one, another good thing about this is that it lets you operate like a normal uh, business does in CI. Like CI is the most dangerous thing you can do. Like your continuous yep. integration server, your Jenkins server, GitHub Actions. That's mm-hmm. like your your point of vulnerability because that yep. that agent. If you're using CloudFormation, it needs to be able to create API gateways. It needs to be able to create queues. It needs to be able to essentially execute arbitrary code all this stuff. Whereas if you move to a system like we have now, the only permissions it needs is to upload code and update a version. That's it. Yeah. Because we're, we're Uh, we're building the image, uploading and then setting the code version. That's the only thing that the CI server is responsible for. So I don't need to like fine tune that. So just going back to the Terraform stuff. 
So it's pretty much everything in Terraform is infrastructure now. So all our API gateway, Lambda, is like when you want to create new infrastructure or manage the infrastructure, you just do it all through Terraform. Yeah. Is that part of the... So do you have two separate pipelines now? Like do you have one or is it GitHub Actions? We well, don't like, really need a pipeline for that, for Terraform, because how often do you change that? How often do I need to change the underlying API gateway? Normally yeah, that's so like how, a manual so process. It's a manual process. Manual. Yeah. Okay. But so those those are the type of things that are scary, right? Yeah. No matter what you do, uh, changing the API gateway is going to be like you need to do manual post implementation verification, that sort of stuff. Ah, so, gotcha. Okay. It, so you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have like a you wouldn't have a pipeline to do it because you want to check it straight after. Is that what you're saying? You need you need a lot of maturity to be able to do that, and you need more than. Uh, okay. It, there's no value for us, right? Because who's running the Terraform pipeline is me. So <laughs> I you. have to babysit it either way. <laughs> so okay, gotcha. But uh, and, and so you're not I, I have worked also. with Terraform that runs in a pipeline, but Terraform in a pipeline isn't as good. Like it's just not gotcha. it's just not there. Like there's some orchestrators large, that help it. If it at a large yeah. company, so uh, well, yeah. Say yeah. like in ten years' time when we're when we're a massive, when we buy PO'd. Yeah, so um, there, there are what helpers what that will actually like? run Terraform. So what happens is, uh, I don't think you've really used much, but um, Terraform no, has two com- two commands. One is called plan, yeah. and one is called apply. So yeah. Terraform plan will spit out these are the changes I want to make. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, this is what I need to get your infrastructure back to the correct state. So in yep. your CI server, you would run a Terraform plan and then save that as an artifact. Yep. And then you would have a step that's like require uh, approval, like require yep. administrator approval. That would be sent yep. to the CTO or the head of operations or a DevOps person. And then they would yep. be able to look at the plan, say, yes, that all seems reasonable and hit check. Yep. So that's what things like uh, Spinnaker or Jenkins have capabilities for. Gotcha like a manual approval stage. It's quite common, especially in uh, yeah. highly regulated industries. Um, okay, so I, okay. I've literally done this exam. I've been through the process of converting a company from zero Terraform uh, automation to having every Terraform like production apply being done through a pipeline. So Gotcha. Okay, that's nice. So, th- so, so that, that's, that's sort of the story. But it, it, it's a lot of eff- extra effort to keep that in sync and everything. So Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about the so that looks after the infrastructure. So then for the actual code deployment, yeah. we're not doing zip files anymore. So Well it's not even just that. Well, uh, let me tell you what it is, because I, I think this will probably surprise you as well. Well, can we talk about tell me first if you were to do it the original way with the zip files, what yep. would it look like? Is it a GitHub action or like same thing. I it's gonna be almost identical. It's just how do you build your code, right? That, yep. that that's the only difference is like for me a docker image makes more sense and yep. i'm building server-side code i don't need to webpack like i think the fact that i have to webpack to remove my dev dependencies and everything is just silly like yep. i really just want to get my code onto there and the fact that it's a bit heavier doesn't matter like the cold start it does matter okay a hold on bit. let's yeah. come back to the webpack stuff because i need to ask you more questions about that too all right, so I'll tell you how okay, the code good. is we're deployed. In, we're going into everything here. Okay. All right, good. So <laughs> we're just laying out the layout. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so code deployment. Yeah, what's going on there? So code deployment. Um, I started. I tried a few tools, and I decided that the tools are not worth it, really. So I tried using Ansible, and uh, which is what I've 
done previously. So yeah, I remember you I, said you wanted yeah. to use Ansible. So Ansible has um you can so Ansible traditionally is like a the the point of it is that you can connect to any number of remote hosts and run commands on them. But it's also yeah. nice for CI scripts because it's like a uniform interface. It sort of looks like a pipeline, all this stuff. So I normally, if I'm writing this stuff, I write a, a playbook, a couple playbooks with a couple actions. And then you can add actions that are like infrastructure management, like uh, restart this or like uh, kick this, you know, kick this server and do something with it, for example. Sure. Yep. Um, so uh, I ended up canning all of those tools. Uh looked at Pulumi as well again. <laughs> but uh, I ended up canning all of those tools and I just yep. decided to write a type one one or two TypeScript files that use yep. the AWS uh, SDK because it's already there. We're writing a TypeScript code base, right? Oh, okay. So I actually literally just call the, uh, you know, you do like the import AWS from AWS-SDK yep. and then I do yep. aws.lambda.create new version. And so I, I have didn't a, even know you could do that through the SDK. I yeah. thought the SDK was just for like calling service. I didn't know you could actually create infrastructure from there. Yeah, yeah. You can. So it has the entire, you know how the AWS CLI, the yeah. documentation for the CLI and the HTTP API, right? So yeah. there, were, there, were, there were three options, really. There was, I could use the CLI through something mm-hmm. like Ansible or write a bash mm-hmm. script. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have types or anything and people are going to find that confusing because I'm the only one who's literate in bash. Um, yeah. If I do it in TypeScript, I get types. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows how it works, and it's essentially yeah. like you can tell the flow quite easily. Nice. Uh, and That's excellent. or there's the HTTP API, which you could hit, but the SDK was already there, so you might as well just use it. So I actually yeah. literally just call AWS dot. Uh, I think it's create lambda or upload code version, uh, yeah. change image version, and then uh, set the uh, change the alias. So, that is so cool. And then uh, the concurrency I'm very, management. I'm very happy with that because I can hop in and start looking now. Yeah. So the <laughs> so concurrency management is very easy. Bash, I probably wouldn't have looked. Yeah. But like, yeah. so one of the things is like you want to deploy all of these functions at once, right? Mm. But because of the way that we're doing it now, uh, you can literally, you can just promise dot all, right? And that deploys everything. Yeah. Like you don't have to, oh, wow. like uh, JavaScript is already really strong at concurrent, like waiting like when you have a lot of HTTP calls and then a lot of like background waiting, that's its strength. So you might as well yeah. just use TypeScript if you're in a TypeScript code base and you have the AWS SDK at your fingertips anyway. So yeah. uh, it ended up that's being awesome. much shorter than any other solution and also probably more usable. And uh, like, I feel like that's the way that something like serverless should go is using the, the S, like that SDK instead of something like CloudFormation really. I know there's limits that you can hit, but uh, like it's still easier to uh, do retries in uh, in TypeScript than it is in CloudFormation. Yeah, what happens if things fail? How do you handle that? It doesn't really matter. It'll tell you where the error is. You run it again. Like what okay. kind of fail? Um, I don't know. So automated automated so rollbacks by infrastructure yeah. uh, tools, yeah. almost always bad. <laughs> oh, okay. They will almost always destroy something. Uh, they're very yeah. blunt because they're trying to accommodate for a lot of different things. So, so what could? So I suppose the question is, what could potentially go wrong, and how do we mitigate that? What's, uh, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is that the code is broken. Yeah, that's because. Uh, so a lambda when you deploy. Remember what's happening in that phase when we're doing a deploy. We're creating a new. We're updating the code 
configuration, yeah. that doesn't change anything. When I say use this new image, because there's an there's a, an alias called live, right, that is actually being fed, until I say change alias to current version, nothing mm. has changed. The API request has gone out and API uh-huh. Gateway has loaded that container. And if I were to target yeah. that specific version, that would that would work. Yeah. But everything is using the alias uh, service slash live, right? So mm-hmm. it's until the very final commit stage of the deployment, nothing is changed. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And then let's say that you did, again, you like rolling back is not a way that modern applications are deployed. You don't roll back code, you roll forward. Like if something yeah. is broken, then you fix it and you deploy again. You don't, uh, mm. you don't like try and mess around with a rollback system, essentially. Yep. Very rare. Maybe or a SQL redeploy migration. redeploy the last working version? Is that kind of same thing? That's a rollback. I still don't think oh, that's... Okay. I, like, you wouldn't really do that. Like, what, what would be broken? I don't know. Maybe, maybe as a developer, I'm not fast enough to be able to fix what I've done wrong and I just want to get the site back up. I mean, yeah, so if... If you're that person, then do that. But uh, <laughs> my my answer would be just don't be that person. <laughs> be the person yeah, okay. who who releases small changes, and you yeah. know what's in the change. Don't do like yeah. uh, two, three week long waits between deploys. Yeah, fair enough. This, this system means you can deploy much faster. So yeah, that's a good point because it, it's much lower risk with the existing system. In fact, so, like if yep. the code is broken so hard that it won't even load, like right now, because there's a provision concurrency alias, it can't even deploy. Like mm-hmm. it can't, like it will just fail before it even hits the like change alias version. Gotcha. gotcha. So. All right. So uh, I'll, I'll just add two. one more thing. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go, uh, go. I'm not, I'm specifically not managing the scaling of the provision concurrency through either of those two systems. I'm going to do that manually oh. in the console. Oh, okay. Because uh, so everywhere that I've worked uh, yeah. has had scaling done automatically and it has always been bad. And it always ends yeah. up being that uh, there's a manual, there's someone who goes in and changes the scaling and then that gets yeah. overwritten by the automatic process. Yeah. For me, I think it's much better if you write maybe a Lambda function that like is a scheduler or you use the, what is it, AWS config? Or uh, I think AWS autoscaler manages the provision concurrency, all this stuff. Uh, so I would much rather use one of those tools and use a manual tool because like me with my eyes, I can see when there's actually a need for in, in like more scalability, like more provision yep. concurrency. Whereas yeah. a blunt tool like just setting it to 10 provision concurrency all the time is not, it, it's wasteful because no one's on at 1 a.m. So That's right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... I'm a better pattern you, detector. Yeah, but if you, if we do another deploy on the Lambda, then straight away you've got to go to the console and provision the concurrency again? No, because it, uh, it's targeting an alias. So you know there's, there's code versions oh, and aliases? Okay. So yeah. I changed the provision concurrency for the alias of live. That's what I've yeah, chosen yeah. as the the alias for all of Lambda functions. We're doing yeah. um, a confi- uh, a convention over configuration. So all I've yeah. made a lot of decisions that are just baked in. So there's not that much yeah. configurability. It's just like yeah. we're using live as the prod version of the Lambda. Gotcha. So 
the, all of the configuration will be against that alias. So you will mm-hmm. never have to worry about what version of the code you're changing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can just monitor, obviously, the the Lambda's performance and how many requests and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, exactly. If you think you need to increase the provision concurrency, there's I can do it manually. Do it. I can do it yeah. through a scaling system like, uh, is it called AWS Autoscaler? I can't remember. You have to make a target group. So you say, for these Lambdas, uh, scale them at this time, or I could write a Lambda that runs on a schedule or anything. Yeah. So. Sure. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So, all right. To go to the uh, just the question as well, if we were to stick with the zip files of the code, yeah. would you have to manually zip them and then you still use the SDK to upload them? Well, you the could SDK zip just to... through TypeScript as well. Like, remember yeah. that TypeScript is a fully complete language. Like, you already have, you don't need a whole bunch of other tools on top of it, really. Like you could just, if you if you had something simple enough where you could actually just zip the current directory, you could just use either like uh, Spawn, which is built into Node, or Execa, which is like a mm-hmm. Node thing. Yeah. Uh, or I'm sure there's a utility that you can just like glob and zip these files. Gotcha. Right. So that would be another option. But, okay, but we're not doing zips, we're doing container images. All right, so I, I, I'm a container. I'm a, container, I'm a so for other people, I come from a Kubernetes background, uh, primarily Kubernetes background. Like serverless was not my uh, choice <laughs> when I started doing serverless ages ago. So mm-hmm. servers, uh, containers make more sense to me than serverless does. Yeah, I prefer the so control Lam- there. Lambda is just containers anyway. La- yeah, it is already a container, so it's a firecracker yeah. container. Why can't I manage it? Why do I have to trust whatever AWS wants? Yeah. So. so this was interesting because you mentioned it to me last week or whatever it was, and you said you're using a container image. But I wasn't aware that uh, you can actually have a container, an image up to 10 gig. Is that what you told me? That's right, yeah. The base image, I believe, is 300 megs. So okay. think about what yeah. you could fit on there. Because last time I was looking into that, um, I'm pretty sure all you could use was that uh, there was an, an actual container that AWS had, like the Lambda-specific container. Would that be right? Is that how it was? I, I think the, the thing the that I'm talking about came only in? came out in December. Oh, there you go. Okay. I'm not even aware of it. So uh, I'm not sure what it was that you were using. I could be sure. wrong. Let me see. when this, yeah. uh, 1st of December 2020. How long ago uh, was that? What month yeah, is no, it? I was doing uh, June. Yeah, th- so yeah. this is the blog post, new for AWS Lambda container image support. And, uh, the, yeah, because yeah, so, last time I looked at it was probably like a year ago. So I'm not sure what you were using there. There's, there's, yeah. It's probably something like Fargate or something you were using, which is serverless because you don't manage the EC2 instances, I guess. Oh, no, what, I, what I'm saying is I wanted to like, just run my uh, the container that Lambda was running. I wanted to run it locally, and I used it. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, that's a, yeah, like a yeah, local yeah. emulator. Yeah, no, those yeah, are garbage. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those are bad. You don't need to emulate AWS. AWS yeah. is literally running a Linux VM. That <laughs> that's all you need to emulate. <laughs> but if the container. Can, I wanted. Yeah. To, I think what happened was I was, I had some code and then I pushed it to the Lambda, and it wasn't working in the Lambda, but it was working on my local machine. So then 
We just wanted to replicate the environment that it was actually running in on the lander. Do you remember so then, what you like? What was breaking? It's normally it's normally IAM permissions that people think they need that for, but yeah. the way to to simulate the lambda IAM permissions is to actually just use the role that your lambda function will use in development. Mm. You can mm. actually assume that role. So in your AWS config, you can just say assume like a serverless execution role. And then that will, you will actually run code as if you were that Lambda function. Like identically. Oh, so. okay. So there's no reason for you to need to, to do that, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think so. Well, I'm still, you know, junior developer learning these things as I go. <laughs> no, no. But I, I, like, I just have yet to find anything where like you would actually need to try and emulate AWS locally. Yeah. You just need to emulate their guarantees and like their like some of their configuration, but otherwise yeah. they haven't written a new operating system, right? It it is just no. Linux, so yeah, yeah. So how's the container images work? Then you have to you create a container image with the code that we want to execute. Or what? How's it work? You just uh, run Docker build with a Docker file. Uh, they have a oh, base yeah. image that they recommend you to use because it already has the, I, I can't remember what it's called, but like... Can you the, hear that? Hear what? Oh, I'm <laughs> getting background. <laughs> no, I can't hear. I'm getting background. I can't okay, hear. It's sorry. all right. But yeah. uh, you uh, you just specify, so you know from, you say from AWS Lambda Node.js 14 or whatever, and then you mm-hmm. you copy the code in and then you set the, the CMD, the command to the mm-hmm. Lambda, like executable. Like where the file path to your code, uh, and okay. that's it. That's as simple as it yep. is. The Docker file is uh, six lines long. The ones that we're using. Oh, that's great. But uh, the the Amazon Linux Linux container is very heavy, like unnecessarily heavy, because Why they they heavy? include everything. They include like Image Magic. They have a whole bunch of binaries, all this stuff. They've probably uh, got SSHD in there, which is a no no, right? I, I don't know. But SSHD, like the SSH daemon. Daemon. Oh right, yeah. So yeah. like, all yeah. they probably have all of the utilities that anyone could ever want on a Linux because they're they're trying to build something for everyone, right? Yeah. But uh, if you could just like use Alpine or something and clear all of those, uh, like all the cruft of that, you don't need Bash on your on your Lambda container, right? So yeah. delete Bash. You don't need yeah. to be able to access a shell at all. That's like a thing that uh, is quite common in Kubernetes as well. You don't add a shell to any of your container images. But obviously, yeah. Bash exists inside of the AWS Lambda one. Mm. Uh, but you don't need to. You can just do it the simple way. Uh, Docker build, and then you push it. We use an AWS registering, which is super easy to configure. You just say, uh, this is an image registry, and then yeah. you, that's it. Yeah. It's not too, not too bad. And then you just... Uh, I give it the URL of the tag. Yeah. So we use the git, the git sha so each yep. each release has a git sha of it. Yep. Uh and then you say uh use the service uh colon git sha. Mm. And that's it. Update image code using the AWS SDK. It's a good system, isn't it? I like it. You've done well. Yeah, it'd be good if it was in a framework, but um I don't see anything that has anything like this in a framework. Yep. Uh I don't really know why. Maybe I'll stub my toe eventually on something. Here's your chance to start it yourself. 
No, I, I heard that before. Like, build everything like it should be open sourced, but like, yeah. that's a disservice. I don't think so. No, you've got to build yeah. stuff that's specific to your use case. I don't need to handle all of these uh, eventualities that other people are going to have. If you do that, yeah, you end up with true. something like serverless. Yeah, that's like true. imagine yeah. if serverless was just focused on AWS. Imagine how much better that framework would be. Mm. But they include Azure, AWS, probably uh, uh, CloudFront. Uh, like a whole yeah. bunch of, or not CloudFront. What's the name of that CDN that does cl- Cloudinary? No. Anyway, they have a whole bunch of different places you can deploy serverless functions. So it's obvious Cloudflare. that Cloudflare, yeah. yeah. So because they support all of these uh, eventualities, like all of these edge cases of like, oh, this person wants to deploy code here, they can't build yeah. something that's like really good for AWS, I feel. Yeah. Or even really good for GCP. So. Yeah, you just got to take the, you know, it's got to be, good enough to use across all three instead of tailored to just one. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't even want to open source like anything that. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, so the next thing you mentioned was the Webpack stuff. So I'm interested about this because there's like that Webpack plugin for serverless framework, and I've seen a lot of people recommend to make sure that you use it to Webpack all your, to like bundle all your Lambda code to make it more efficient to run. Well, I just find that amazing because because it's the most broken plugin on the planet. <laughs> like I, so I I I do some uh, contract work as well. I I know some people. Uh, other people use serverless. They use the the Webpack plugin. It has more memory leaks memory leaks than I than I can describe. Like yeah. no one's computer can run it. You have to go. You have to add the additional node options to be like can you use all 24 gigs of my computer in, in RAM? Yeah. Because Webpack will actually run the entire process and it doesn't even like, uh, it doesn't even uh, garbage collect between Lambda functions. Mm. So your deploys end up taking well over an hour, which is what we were up so to. Yeah. What's the purpose of the Webpack plugin? Like what's, what's the main reason you would want to use it? Well, you have a hard limit of 250 megabytes of unzipped code yeah. if you use the zips, right? Yeah. Uh, really, like loading a container image, getting that... Uh, so, like, it, it's not... You're not going to have that much of a slowdown for a couple megabytes in uh, in AWS talking yeah. to a registry or anything. So, like, the fact... They, they have arbitrarily imposed 250 megs for some reason yeah. uh, on everyone. And that yeah. is just making it so that everyone... That 250 megabytes is more than reasonable for a server-side application. Like if you get, if you get your your database driver, uh, maybe an image processor. That's about all you can fit in there. No, no yeah. utility libraries. Uh, so, yeah. and then you need Webpack to go through and tree shake because some packages don't clean up like everything. Like they might have a readme.md or something. You know, yeah. so there's like a yeah. lot of files that need to be removed in order to get under 250 megabytes. So you hit mm. 250 megabytes really fast. In fact, when we started, yeah. when I started here with the API, it was it was already yeah. over 250 megs, and yeah, there were I only think, about uh, 15 packages. I hadn't deployed when you came. I hadn't deployed in two weeks because I'd hit the limit. And I'm like, oh, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was like, oh, James will be here. Soon. He'll work it out. So, so it's just silly, isn't it? Like the fact that. You, you have to add these workarounds just to get some code running. But yeah. I don't know if it's because, the, like, 
the the way lambdas the way this serverless sort of stuff should be going is not it, it it should just allow you to do the same things that you would do on an EC2 instance, but without managing the EC2 instance. Like that's yeah, what that's I see the as whole, the future. I don't that's see functions are fake. Like functions are a distraction from the real value of this serverless stuff. I feel like having a, a handler is not the value of this. Like having the one one file, because that's what their sales pitches always are. When you have an AWS rep, and we've had AWS rep, reps, we've met them. Like what they show you is, oh, look, just one file. All you say is event and then event.body. Isn't that great? But that, like, that falls apart the second you have anything, <laughs> anything remotely complex that you have to do. The yeah. real value is when you have like, you you no longer have to even think about the fact that there are servers running. Like that's what server serverless means would would mean to me. So yeah. I like I could run something that actually binds to a port, and it would still work. Like that would be the ideal system for me, and that's where oh, I see okay. us going. And I think yeah. AWS is realizing that. That's why they're supporting container images. Because for example, like the reason why they said they added it was for uh, machine learning and heavier workloads, right? Yep. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense because they they want essentially what I'm saying. Like they just want to be able to run code at whatever scale without thinking about the underlying servers, without yeah. configuring VMs and stuff. So, mm. yeah. So without the Webpack stuff, so you just don't bundle anything now. You just what is it? TypeScript yeah, compile why? Why would you? whatever. Compile yeah, it. So just, yeah. We we use Yarn V2 now, Yarn Berry. So uh, oh, I, yeah. I use a a script called prod install, which copies over the dependencies, and then that's it. Docker no, we build. We talk about more about Yarn V2, but I don't want to sidetrack. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, Webpack is just one of the sins that's been forced. To, like, it makes perfect sense for browsers, right? Because yeah. it actually really, really matters uh, for the latency to a person's computer, whether or not mm. you have one megabyte or two megabytes. It does not matter in a server context because your code has already spun up and it's probably serving much faster, right? Yeah. As soon as you start something, that like that's what actually matters. The the, the start time isn't as important in uh, server server side coding, back end coding. So. Yeah. What kind of performance benefits do you think you would get from bundling it and tree shaking it now? I I would Very lose minimal? performance. So I you uh, would lose it. Yeah, so our system now is about... Uh, so I no longer have latency alerts. <laughs> yeah. I was getting latency alerts because um, I had added the... So I wanted to write a monolith because it's just me and I don't think there's any value in like having a whole bunch of lambdas because then I have to manage the permissions for all this stuff, right? Yeah. In the long term, maybe we can split some stuff up, but really what I wanted is a monolith. And so I built a monolith but because of that, you do have like Sharp and you have a PDF processor and you have uh, like some heavier stuff like React PDF for generating invoices or whatever. Uh, yeah. So when, when, when you webpack, everything's required immediately, right? So it's, it's parsing the full five megabyte bundle. So we were down to about five megs. Parsing the whole thing, loading all of the code paths essentially and then executing. So it was actually taking around, it ended up being... It started at three seconds when we had next to nothing, and then it ended up being seven seconds because of the additional requires. 
okay. So now, now that I have done, we spoke about it last time, but I do a lazy require for the actual code that's being run. Yep. The actual start time is between three and four seconds. So yeah. the initialization time is back to what it was before. So with the lazy require, it just doesn't load that code until you actually need it. Because we actually are running Node, like vanilla Node Node.js, and we're using yep. CommonJS. So you can have the require, and you can just wait to run the requirement, the require statement until the code's actually needed. Sure. Which you do in the front end with Webpack because you, you have remote bundles, right? So at the router, you would say, like, don't load anything that's in a dependency for this page until it's required. But that doesn't work on the server because the code's right there, right? Uh, so yeah. instead of doing that, like that sort of lazy require, you actually just put the require in line. That's all. In line to a function. Ah, uh, okay. So don't load yeah. the code until you need it. Yeah. And if you need to get metadata about the code, uh, compile it beforehand. Use some code generation. Mm. Which is what I've been doing. So I, I code generate out where all the paths to the required files are. So the HTTP router itself actually like there's a code generator that loads all the paths, the methods, the name of the handler, and uh, I think that's it. And then there's a, a router that that takes the the request and lazily requires based on the path and method which of these handlers needs to be invoked. So that's that's been a, a speed boost of three seconds on cold start. So, yeah. So overall, it's been good. It's been good. I wish this stuff... I mean, again, container images are new. That's December, so things take a while to, to get hold. But uh, yeah. I think this is probably, hopefully, the way that stuff will go in the future. Because uh, you remove cold starts, essentially, if you have even the slightest amount of provision concurrency. Because all of your lambdas are running the same code, the yeah. same one lambda, just treated as a container. It's great. Yeah. So then, uh, one other contentious point was Pulumi. Pulumi. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, because in our, in our last podcast, you know, Pulumi considered you harmful. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm not a big fan. Like it, it, I don't think it replaces any of any of the tools that I use now. So I what, still think that. Yeah. I did so say to you before. Yeah. yeah. So I said to you at the start, I was like, uh, "Oh, I'm considering using it," but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've changed my mind. <laughs> I've not changed my mind in the slightest. Yeah. It's still not better than Terraform, and I don't think it's better than Serverless. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah. S- think it replaces anything it is interesting for, for like infrastructure specific lambdas i think it like, okay. makes a lot of sense so for yep. example i want to do database backups and i want something that will like uh at at a time like verify backups or something like if there's just yep. some arbitrary thing or i want to have like a slack message with the number of customers in my database like that's a one-off function. It doesn't belong, and it has low cohesiveness with the rest of my code. So yeah. it belongs somewhere else. It's deployed maybe once, and then I don't think about it ever again. Pulumi sort of makes sense for that because they have that. They have the magic lambda handler. I don't have you seen that syntax. No. So they have a syntax where you can inline with the definition of the infrastructure. Just say you can just write an event handler, like a fifteen-line event handler, and that's it. And then you just run oh, deploy, okay. and it's and it's up. Okay. So those are the sort of things that I see 
uh, like potentially would be faster than CloudFormation, easier to understand because it's all in TypeScript. And if you want to configure something, like the the edge cases are all discoverable because you have types, right? You know what all of the parameters are to an S3 bucket, yeah. for example. So, so yeah, I think so, that's potentially something that I would use it for. So this kind of ties in with the comment you made before about, um, you know, functions don't really make sense. But in this context where a function is not really cohesive to the code base and you do want that function which wouldn't be part of the monolith, then it might be a good option. Yeah. Th- these aren't services. These are these are like a DevOps buddy. You know what I yeah. mean? I don't know what you would yeah. call them. <laughs> but there's always like the... DevOps buddy sounds good to me. So for example, like um, Cloud CloudFront, uh, in order to add headers like the uh, HSTS preload, uh, which is like uh, make sure that people use HTTPS with my site, mm-hmm. you can add all these headers to your site uh, at... The edge, like with a CloudFront Edge Lambda, but it's only like four or five lines of code, and it's not worth me setting up a whole serverless project and a compiler and all this stuff, right? Yeah. So Pulumi is the sort of thing that I think makes perfect sense there because it's five lines of code, as simple as possible. And Pulumi has this thing called AWS X, which is like their uh, pre-configured, like best practice stuff. You could actually yeah. just use their pre-configured stuff for a lot of these, like super simple doesn't really matter uh code that just yep. you need some automation somewhere just is it just like sensible defaults to setting things up yeah yeah nice or even yeah, like wanted, a different interface yeah a different interface yeah okay but, so they've slightly changed the interfaces so for example instead of easier to work with so awsx the api gateway if you just yeah. wanted a couple like simple endpoints yeah. Uh, they actually have their interface. You can actually just say like slash users and then define the handler and then do slash uh, customers and then define the handler in line. Yep. So yep. you do API gateway, name it, and then define the routes with the handlers. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So you can see for, for something that you and can is guarantee you isn't going to grow. Yeah, yeah. So for yeah. something that you can see isn't like going to grow, like it's so simple that it makes sense but it wouldn't yeah. make any sense if you were building something where you have a lot of requirements, you're doing a lot of authorization, maybe if it's public facing, all this stuff where there's like, yeah. you need a WAF in front of it and all this other configuration. So, sure. But if you're doing that thing, like I was saying before, having a Lambda that could like change the scaling of, uh, of your other Lambdas intelligently, like that's something that's a good candidate because it's only, you, you're essentially just trying to, that's a case where you actually just want a function to be somewhere. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Did you revisit it or did you just come across this use case? How did you how did you think about this? I've just been dreaming. I just I <laughs> I dream about um Pulumi sometimes. <laughs> well you obviously read the code when Juggling JSON brought it up and then Well I, I go out for drinks sometimes. You know. Yeah. So I, I went out for drinks and, uh, you know, got a bit drunk and started shit-talking it. And then people were, you know, I have uh, discussions. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. And yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, all right, that's a reasonable that's a reasonable yeah. use case. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So the other big thing you done this week was the Yarn V2 stuff. Yeah, Yarn V2. That's... Uh, yeah, so we're we're fully on plug-and-play. So we, we've already discussed everything that we've talked about in this episode, but this was like 
we, we discussed it as in like, this was our intentions, but now we've actually done it. It's in production and it's been running great. Yeah. Uh, so we moved to Yarn V2 because I figured I'm already making all these other like big changes. And one of the reasons why I didn't move to Yarn V2 sooner was because serverless doesn't support it at all. Like all of the serverless pl- plugins break. Now like you Yarn don't have V2. serverless, so you don't even have to worry about that. There's no serverless, so you might as well just use Yarn V2. Um, mm. It's a much stricter version of... So it uses something called Plug and Play, which is a standard... Uh, it's a stricter version of like the node modules regu- resolution system, which node modules resolution for like require statements, it actually like does a file system check, like for like 14 or 15 file system checks to see like when you do a require, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? No. All right. Well, I guess it doesn't exist. All right. Uh, Yarn actually before the code runs, it actually dep- like compiles all of the packages that every package should have access to. And then we'll just throw an exception if it shouldn't have access to it. So it removes some edge behavior where a package might have access to something that it shouldn't. Yeah. Because the the whole node modules thing, it really does feel like it was just slammed in there by accident. Mm. <laughs> like if you... I think they even admit that it was an afterthought. Yeah. Node modules wasn't made to manage packages or even have packages in it. That was how they envisioned code sharing be. Like code sharing is in like within your own app. When I so when I started doing uh, node development, like just playing around, years and years and years ago, when like people were like JavaScript on a server, that's dumb, you know. Back in those days, they uh, they had like the tutorials would actually say make this file inside of node modules, and then you can reference it using this nice require statement outside of node modules. So, it, like, the way that we've used it has changed, but the old system is still there, like the old broken system. I don't think it was yeah. intended to weigh, like to have uh, every single package from everywhere inside of it. Yeah. What's his name? Roald Dahl or something? No, it's the book author. The guy who Roald made Dahl, it no. wasn't anticipating the success of it, I don't think. Ryan, Ryan Dahl. Ryan Dahl, there you go. Yeah. Not the child's book author or whatever. No, not the child's book author, no. <laughs> Yeah, would be pretty impressive if the child book also also wrote node 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 itself. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but plug and play. Yeah, it's stricter. So is that the only big difference between Yarn V one and V two? Plug and play. Uh, the workspaces are much better. So, uh, for right. example, I can I'm doing some contract work for a company that has some Yarn Mono repos that are mm. about more than a hundred package strong. And uh, installing packages for that in the linking phase and the amount of like den- like the density of that folder is, it- it's heavy. <laughs> mm. So it takes a long time to install. If you need to fresh install, if you need to clear caches, like it takes ages in those code bases. So mm. if you want to invest heavily in like the mono repo uh, system, which I do, uh, then like the initial node module system doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because if you if you use the Yarn v2 system, all the packages are kept in one directory and Yarn knows which of your sub-modules should have access to what packages. So instead of downloading two different... Ver- like before, for example, uh, we, we removed 300 de- dependencies, 300 plus uh, duplicated dependencies because Yarn now can just say, 
for everyone that wants React DOM, this is the version of React DOM that we have. And then the, it just gives them access to that instead of like saying this package has this version of React DOM and this one has this version of React DOM, for example. Yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, it, their deduplication algorithm is a lot better and it's actually possible to deduplicate. Before you had all these sim links and everything lying around. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. But uh, yeah. now it's much cleaner and simpler, I would say. And uh, if you do a require that shouldn't be there, it rightfully throws an error just like a normal language. It it just so, I think adds some maturity to the to the ecosystem. So the what's the reason that people need to stay on V one? So like you gave the example of the serverless framework where the plugin wouldn't work with Yarn V two. Is there any other reasons? It would be, uh, in, so if your package directly uses file system access to node modules. So for example. Yep. Uh, some packages will literally say like dot dot slash node modules slash bin, and then they will read yep. a binary. Uh, yep. If it relies on that sort of behavior, then your package will not work because there is no node modules directory. Uh, right. So that would be the... Is no- there no workaround for that? Uh, you could just use... If you wanted, you could still use node modules with Yarn V2. They still support the node modules linker, but I just think it, it better... Like, it's much better for the entire ecosystem if people just got off of, uh, like, the original node modules system. And are people doing that? Is yeah. The, is the community behind that, or is there... Well, there's, there is, is there a like community behind that. Of, is there two different schools of thought where people are like, no, no, I want to keep doing it? Well, like, people still want to keep doing it because they just want to keep going with what, what they're doing. It's more just uh, the weight of what's happening now. It's not like sure. there's any like argument. Everyone knows node modules as a system is horrible. It's just like right. that's what everything's built in. Mm. So, for example, there's a good GitHub Actions issue that I read. That's an example of that, which is I think GitHub Actions decided not to action supporting Yarn V2 for Dependabot because uh, there's only a couple thousand or a few thousand Yarn V2 workspaces and there's a hundred thousand Yarn V1 workspaces. Gotcha. But that's just because we've had Yarn for so long. But yeah, Yarn has officially deprecated Yarn Classic. Yarn V1 has a big warning at the top saying, please don't use this essentially. And okay. MPM7, I believe, launched with plug-and-play support as well. So node modules oh, that's what I was going is, to ask you. Yeah. yeah. So node modules as a system is going to come to an end eventually. Hopefully we won't get into a system. Do you know about Python 2, Python 3? Have you heard about that? No, what happened there? Uh, well, if you've ever, if you use any system tools or any um, like you, uh, ops tools, you'll notice that uh, everyone has Python 2.7 and uh, Python 3 point something installed. And yep. that's because there was a big update that changed the interface of the language quite a bit and not everyone was on board with that. So it split the community uh-huh. in half and half of the people yep. were on three and half the people were on two. And it's not yep. like people stopped building stuff for two. They just kept building stuff for two and then they kept building stuff for three and no one, there was no like one consist- consensus of like, we're doing this now. Which is the worst possible outcome for everyone. Yeah. So for a long time you had to have a Python virtual environment and everything. I don't think that'll be the case with... Um, Yarn V2 or plug and play, uh, because it's just it it is just like a better system, and I think that's how plugins will start to recommend you working. And I don't think anyone's going to be particularly against it. Yeah, 
it'll just be because you have code that's running already and you don't want to deal with it. Like that's, that's the answer. But yeah. people who start a new code base, uh, there's no reason not to just try and start with your own V2 because you'll catch a lot of issues up front uh, that might bite you later. Yeah. So many interesting things happening with JavaScript still. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I find it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for everyone else. I like I like these new concepts of you know changing the way things work. There was one way of doing it. Now there's like a new way of doing it. Mm. Let's do some research, but and see what's going on there. The more things change, the more they stay the same, though. Yeah, that's it. Who, knows? Gonna go, Who knows what the value is? Going to end up being a. A Rails mono repo again soon. Well, I mean, like I said, we went from like you know, uh, <laughs> we went from shared computing to on uh, mainframes to like easy, to your own computer to to cloud computing to shared computing on mainframes now. So yeah, what what's the next evolution? We're back to our own computers. Maybe no computers is the next evolution. Wow, calculators again, like actual serverless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because the world will have just ended. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, maybe something like that. Oh, that'd be good. Oh, maybe maybe the robots will be rowing the code for us by then. No, that won't happen. Robots no just code. don't have the no intelligence. Co- no code tools no are code. fake. All fake news. No, I've seen the YouTube videos. They're making they're making a big <laughs> so up, having a big uprising in no code tools. Look, AI. All right, look, I'm, we can't go on this uh, this tangent because I'm just going to get upset and no one's going to care. It's going to have to be on a, on a separate episode. Yeah. I don't have the... you got to press the button today. I don't have the button. Which button? This one. There you go. Well, You're in charge of the... That's the outro. We're yeah, at 57 minutes and 30 seconds, so uh, very good work. Yeah. Uh, well, you're in control of the, the full uh, system today because you know, I'm not in Sydney anymore and you've got all the tools there. That's right. I'm, I'm remote. Well, I hope you enjoyed our remote episode. We don't hop have, on the Discord. Yeah, hop on the Discord. Uh, it, it's probably a more difficult way to podcast. I can't see anyone's face. so uh, <laughs> we, we publish on Wednesdays sometimes, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> but most Roll the, the dice. <laughs> Well, it depends on how the pandemic's not playing out. If you want to see anything else, uh, podcast.unrulysoftware.com, you know, check us yeah. out. Send me a, a private message uh, or send me a public message. Public message, yeah. Yeah, on Discord. Or a private one, why not? Sure. All right. Very nice. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>